welcome, and I feel welcomed. I, uh, it's funny, I've had some people um, say to me, welcome back, because uh, some of you know I was here for six weeks, October through November, and, and others who may be um, here for the first time or visiting, um, this is kind of like my first Sunday, and I'm excited. A new start. I'm excited to be here and to be the pastor of Wyzetta Evangelical Free Church and what God has in store for us. It's a new year, and as I was thinking about a new year, new starts, and my new start, and our new start, and, and what this would look like, and what should I preach on, and I, had, I, I thought, well, I'm going to start on a series of Titus, and then what happened was sometime in December, I was at some friend's house. We were um, people that I have met with in a small group. We were having communion together, and we were reading a passage of Scripture during that communion time. And Jesus holds up uh, his, his cup and says, this is the new covenant in my blood. And, and I, my thought immediately was, well, what's so new about the new covenant? And then I, I began to think about it, and I thought, you know, one of the things I want to do in these first two weeks in these first two Sundays is, is talk about fresh starts, newness, what's this all about? And, and so the first one is just what's new about this old covenant? And, and then next week, what's this new commandment? Jesus at one point says, a new command I give you, love one another. I'm kind of going, well, what's so new about that? Isn't that kind of an old one? Well, that's what we're going to look at and today and, and next week. And before we do that, let's just bow our heads and and just in our hearts before the Lord. Father, we had asked that you would allow your Holy Spirit to come and to speak um, through these words and thoughts that you've placed in my heart and through the Word of God that will be read. And God, we're going to ask, and I know as we start this new year, people come with all kinds of different emotions and different uh, intentions and goals and, and things going on in their life, Lord. I'm going to ask that, God, you would, because only you can do this, you would meet us where we're at, each person. And so with humble hearts, we come before you and and would just love for you, as you already have through this service, continue to speak to us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. In the New Year's resolutions, I I think Carol said it well. He said he goes in a lifetime and you can realize it's the new year because you can't find a machine. And I was thinking about New Year resolutions as you think of the new year and, and and I was kind of thinking to myself, you know, aren't they the same old resolutions every year? Aren't, aren't they like lose weight, exercise, eat healthy? Any of you got these so far on your list? Start a hobby, a more balanced life, better job, spend less, save more, make more. And you kind of ask, well, what's new? Well, what might be new is that for some of you and some people, they may actually fulfill some of it, part of it, and maybe even all of one or two. And when I was looking at this passage of Scripture and thinking of this promise, when Jesus holds up the fourth cup of the Passover meal and says to the twelve that are seated around him, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many or for you. I couldn't help but asking, Kevin, what's new about this old covenant? 
Let me read this passage of Scripture so you get a little context in Luke chapter 22, verses 14 through 23. And if you do have a Bible, if there's one in the, in the pew before you, you might want to take that out and even turn to it, because at a few points I might just reference things before or after this passage. But in verse 14 of Luke 22, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He's talking here about the old covenant. Nothing new yet at this point. He couldn't wait to share it. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, this is the third cup, he he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you, for I tell you I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And now these two verses that we often use in communion that are the symbols of, of this new covenant. And he took bread and gave thanks and he broke it and gave it to them saying, This is my body which is for you, given to you. Do this In remembrance of me. And then in the same way, after the supper, he took this cup, the fourth, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Matthew says, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And then he goes on, but the hand of him who is going to betray me is with mine on the table. See, John was on one side, Judas on the other. And he talks about one dipping his hand. He says, the Son of Man will go as it has been decreed, but... Woe to the man who betrays him. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. And they immediately became suspicious of each other and began quizzing one another, wondering who might be about to do this. Isn't that interesting? They had been together for three years and they're still wondering who's the rat. You know, who's going to think out on here? They weren't real sharp. No, I'm kidding. They were very sharp. Because the deceptiveness and sin in the heart is so easily unfolded under all kinds of righteousness. What's new? Jesus made a promise. Made an agreement with the Heavenly Father and even with those 12 disciples and with you, in fact, if you trust in this. He made it, in a sense, a resolution. He resolved to do something. And here's what's new. He fulfilled it. He did it. In fact, in doing so, and we're going to talk about this just in this message, he did something that we couldn't do, and in doing so, he gave us some benefits that we can enjoy that they didn't really have the same sense of enjoying in the Old Testament, in that Old Covenant. But before we dwell, really delve into these benefits, and I like to get to the practical stuff usually, and then sometimes, you know, I get into those things and I don't give some of the background. So I really want to give some background to this whole, this whole covenant idea, so that you get an idea of of what was preceding this, so that when he actually held up that cup and, and the bread and the cup and, and he, he, he gave those out, what is that all about? Well, let's talk a little bit about the background of the Old Covenant. And, and really, what is the definition of a covenant? I um, said in the first service, you know, President Bush makes up words like strategery, so I'm going to kind of make up one here. We, we kind of religiousize words, okay? We take a word like the covenant and we hear the new covenant and I... I do it. You hear it so often. You hear it in church. It doesn't make, you don't really have the, what's that word really mean? What is, it, what is this idea of a new covenant? Well, the very word is, is, is testament. New and Old Testament is, is also the same word covenant. And from the Hebrew word, it's the word berit, which means to cut something. It's a very visual word. In that day when they would make a covenant, 
um, you would actually cut and, 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 and take an animal, sacrifice it, and cut it apart, and you would walk between the two halves as a way of ratifying and establishing this, this covenant, this promise, this agreement you've made. In the New Testament, the word is diatheke, which means it's a will, it's a testament. It's actually a legal word. It lost its meaning, this legal sense, through um, years of, of, of the church. But it was this idea of, of coming and saying, I have, I'm making a will, a promise, a testament um, with you and another person. Let me just explain this word a, a bit more so it comes down to earth for you, I hope. Between nations, a covenant is really like a treaty or an alliance. That's that same idea. Between individuals, it's a pledge or an agreement. In fact, if you go a few verses before this in verse, chapter 22, verses 4 and 5, you'll read that Judas went to the chief priests and the officers of the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. And they were delighted and agreed or covenanted to give him money. Basically, they made a deal. They said, you give us Jesus, we'll give you money. That's a covenant. That's an agreement between individuals. Between a king and his subjects, it's often written up in a sense of a constitution. We do this, you do this, and this is how we interact together. Between God and man, it's a relationship with promises of blessing for keeping the covenant and curses for breaking it. In some ways, I would almost say it was like a contract. In the Old Testament, there are all these kind of contracts that they find in, in, in biblical times. You go back into history and you'll find not only in Israel, but in a lot of the surrounding nations, there were what they called these suzerain treaties. They were treaties that were made between a powerful person or a, or a city-state with less powerful people. And, and, and what would happen is they would either, the powerful one would come to the less powerful one and say, let's make a contract. And, and they would kind of put the stipulations together and say, well, I'll protect you, I'll do this for you if you do this for me. And they would, you know, return food or, or other things that would make this deal work. I mean, in, in many ways, there were so many of these contracts in ancient history that you, it's almost, it reminds me of like going to a bank. You, you know, to the bank, you don't have these form standard policies. They, if you're going to take a mortgage out, you know, they, they also they pull out this thing and it's got these blanks in it. That's kind of what this was like. And, and, and when, when this covenant was made, Moses was with God. God came to them and he basically said to the people of Israel, here, I'm going to make a covenant with you, a much more powerful one. I will come alongside you to do these things in response. Here's what I want you to do. That's kind of the background of what we see here. It's the celebration of this. And, and some of the things that I think are interesting in when covenants were ratified, there were signs, they had solemn oaths, and they often shared a meal. And sacrifice was often a part of, of, of what I said before, that ratification of it. But in the Old Testament, there were often many of these kind of covenants that were made, and often there was a meal shared with it. It would be as if... Um, you know, you don't do this with your mortgage banker. You don't, you know, kind of get together with them every year and kind of re-up around a meal saying, you know, this is, let's, let's make sure you do your part. I'll do my part. You don't do your part. You know what's going to happen, right? But in reality, those kind of agreements, and we see that even happen when nations sometimes make treaties together, they will say, we will come together again and we'll kind of walk through it, make sure that we're both in agreement, we're both doing our part, and, and they'll actually share a meal or they'll, They'll get together again. And, and, and what 
was happening with the people of Israel. They were yearly, on an annual basis, coming together around this covenant that was made, the Passover, when God delivered the people from Israel, and as he delivered them, he then made this covenant with them, and they would come together on an annual basis to remember what God had done and to remember their participation in what they were to do. That's the picture you have of what's going on at this meal. That's the Passover meal. It's the celebration of a contract that the people had with God. And Jesus was eager. He couldn't wait to share this meal with these, with these disciples. And so if you go a little bit earlier into this passage, just a few verses before that, in Luke chapter 22, verse 7, you'll see that Jesus comes to John and Peter, and he says to John and Peter, you know what, I can't wait to serve, you know, share this meal. There's preparations that need to be made. And so for their, you know, coming to Jerusalem, and Jesus hadn't been in Jerusalem for probably about a year or so because he was staying away from there because he knew that what they wanted to do was to take his life. But he knew the time was coming and he was eager, it says, to do this, share this meal and to enter into his suffering, which is an amazing thought. And, and he, he says to Peter and, and, and to John, he says, here's what I want you to do. I can't wait to have this meal, but there's some things that need to be done. He says, I want you to go out and I want you to get this ready. You'll find a guy who's walking along with a, with a water pot and follow that guy to his house, talk to the owner of the house, and that's where we're going to do the meal. That's, you know, okay, how do we do this? Well, you have to understand that in that day, for a guy to be carrying water was not a very typical thing. In fact, to find a guy carrying water in that marketplace or where the, the well was or where they were going to get water was... Very atypical, not a very common thing. It reminds me when I was in Ethiopia. In Ethiopia, the men are supposedly out hunting. Um, I was way out in the tribes. I say supposedly because most of them weren't. Um, While the women were the ones who went and got the water. And that's really typical of cultures throughout the ages. And so he comes along, and so it's very easy. He sees a guy with a water pot who's carrying the water, this water, back to the home. And he comes back to the home. They follow the guy. They find the owner of the home. They say to the owner, guess what? Um, the rabbi has said, I want to eat at home. And he goes, oh, yeah, got a room all ready for you. You see, I think Jesus had, had set this up in the sense that at some point in ministry, I think this person probably said to him, Jesus, anytime you're in town, you want to use my upper room, it's available for you. And upper rooms, those kind of rooms, um, guest rooms is really what they were, were rooms that were on the top of a home. You didn't go through the home, you came on the outside, and often they used them as guest rooms. They would make some extra income and they'd actually rent it out. So here's Jesus preparing everything and getting things ready. And in doing so, this person was preparing also for this covenant celebration. And I want to share with you a little bit of what he had to do to get ready for the process of this contract meal that they were going to celebrate again of what had happened years ago. Part of the reading process would have been for the homeowners ceremonial searching for leaven or yeast throughout his whole house, including that upper room. It didn't matter. Even if you had a room closed off, you, you cleaned everything. And it was um, that, that, that yeast or leaven that you looked for was was to be banished, and it was a symbol of the need to excise any sin or corruption from his house in preparation for the Passover. 
So already having in place, them looking through the whole house, making sure there's no leaven, and, and that is a sense of what happened back then. God was saying, you need to prepare yourself, your hearts, to make sure there is no sin. There's nothing between you and between someone else. If there are things that you know that are hindering your relationship with me or with others, I want you to get a hold of it and get rid of it. And in fact, if you go on, Peter and John were also to carry out some other responsibilities. Verse 12 suggests they were responsible for sacrificing the Passover lamb. So Jesus said not only get the house ready, he said also get the lamb ready for the meal that we're going to share that night. So early in the day, they would have taken an unblemished lamb to the temple, sacrificed it. After all that ritual work had been done, they would take that back to the home, and that would be what would be used for the meal of the Passover. In his commentary, William Barclay says this, there were certain things which were necessary, and these are the things which the disciples would have to prepare to get ready. First, there was the lamb. And the lamb was to remind them of how their houses had been protected by that smear of blood on the doorpost when the angel of death came. Remember when they were delivered from Egypt. There was the unleavened bread, which was to remind them of the bread they had eaten in haste when they escaped from slavery. They didn't have time to let it rise, they, had it, they ate unleavened bread. There was a bowl of salt water at this meal to remind them of the tears that they had shed in Egypt and of the waters of the Red Sea through which they had miraculously passed through to safety. There was a collection of bitter herbs, horseradish, chicory. Some of you who have culinary skills know what chicory is, right? Endive, lettuce, whorehound, something we use a lot at our house, whorehound. Um, some kind of bitter herb, I don't know. To remind them of the bitterness of slavery in Egypt. There was a paste called charosha, which was a mixture of apples and dates and pomegranates and nuts, which was to remind them of the clay which they had made brick, of which they had used to make bricks in Egypt. And, and catch this, through it were sticks of cinnamon to remind them of the straw with which the bricks had been made. And there were four cups of wine, the four cups which were drunk at different stages of the meal to remind them of the promises of God. And here you have them preparing and getting ready. Here's what the old covenant is. Here is Jesus excited and eager to share this this meal because this meal represented what God did. In his grace, he came and he delivered these people from the oppressive power of Pharaoh. And in that Deliverance. He brought them miraculously through the Red Sea. All the work of His grace. He brings them to the, to the mountain. And He wants to have all the people come up to Him and make a contract with Him. Think about it. Here are these people who have lived in oppression. They have, they have served other gods. They have been now freed in this remarkable, miraculous way, overcoming this, this army of Pharaoh in Egypt. By this God. And now this God says to them, guess what? I want to make a contract with you. I want to be your God. The most powerful God in the world wants to come. And I want to set some terms with you so that I will be your God and you will be my people. That, truly, think of, that's amazing. I'm sure they're going, who are we? And so he wants the people to come, but the people are afraid to come. So they say, no, Moses, you go. So Moses goes up in the mountain. And here are the terms of the contract. See, each part had a part to play, an obligation in this contract. 
On God's side, God said, I will be with Israel and lead them through their life. In fact, I will be the one who will lead them in this journey all the way through the wilderness into this land of promise. And I will lead them someday into this kingdom in which I will rule over all the world. That's pretty cool. That's someone you want to sign up with. Now, Israel had an obligation. Here's Israel's obligation. Exclusive love for God and allegiance to him. No other gods. That doesn't sound too tough to do, does it? Then God sets out another obligation. He says, guess what? Not only will I lead you and guide you to this place, but I'll protect you. That's the second term. Through this whole process, and you go through these, you have these armies you have to face, and you have to get there. I'll even be your protection through the whole process. But you've got an obligation. So... The obligation God lays out in these laws, and it's basically obedience to the commandments. That's what he asks for. And then God says, I'll do one more thing, and I won't even have an obligation on your part. My obligation will be twofold. I will provide for you, even through the wilderness. I'll provide for you throughout your life. I'll provide for you if you just trust and you walk with me and you fulfill these obligations. And then finally, I'll even bless you. Those are kind of the four cups. Because leading, protecting, providing, and blessing. And what is really interesting is, hardly had Moses, had God given to Moses the laws, the obligations of the people, he had hardly gotten down the mountain, and what did he see? They were already blowing number one. They couldn't even, I mean, they couldn't even keep it long enough for Moses to get them and come back down. And God is ready to say, forget it, forget the contract, it's been broken already, and, and Moses prays and God says, okay, and he walks with me. And God continues to, to follow through even though they've broken it completely. Here's the record of the ratification of this covenant. Because this is interesting. When you listen to this, you'll hear the words of Jesus at a certain point. Which, in a sense, when the disciples heard this, I think the hair on the back of their necks must have raised up a little bit. Because they understood something that we often don't understand when you think of this old contract and now this new contract. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said we'll do. And then Moses wrote everything down the Lord had said. And he got up early the next morning, built an altar at the foot of the mountain, set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men, and they burned, offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in the bowls, and the other half he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant, or if you want, kind of the contract, and read it to the people. And they responded, we'll do everything the Lord has said. We'll obey. And then Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people and said, listen to this. This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Remind you of something Jesus was doing when he raised that cup? Moses, Aaron, and the 70 elders Israel went up, saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like pavement made of sapphire, clear as the sky itself. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of Israel. They saw God. They ate and drank. They had a meal. And this was the meal that Jesus was sharing with these people today, in, in that day. A year after year after year, they were to celebrate this Passover. They were to go through all these different things to remind them of all that God had done in delivering them by His grace, taking them out, and then establishing a covenant, even though they blew it. 
and going with these people, bringing them to the promised land and being their God and continuing to be their God even to that day when Jesus was with the twelve and he was at that meal with them. But sadly, the history of Israel is one of sin and disobedience and continually worshiping false gods. Followed by judgment and restoration of a remnant of God's people. And the covenant was really clear. Man's parts to love God only and to obey him. But it seems to be something they can't do very long at all. Seems to be something I can't do very long at all. I'm guessing something you can't do very long at all. I have a hard time keeping a resolution a week. Some of us can't keep it a couple days. Some of the lucky ones can go for six months. And here's the good news. This is what's so cool. The covenant fails because of man's ability to keep it. But here's the good news. The covenant fails because of man's weakness and inability to keep it. But here's the good news. Jesus lifts his cup and says, I almost want to go like cheers. He lifts his cup and says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. In essence, he's saying what you couldn't do, I have done and will do. I have lived a life of perfect devotion, sinless devotion to God the Father. And not only that, I will actually, with my blood and my very life, I look forward to this meal. I am eager to go into this meal. And I will go into this suffering with gladness because I want to fulfill and resolve what has been only that, that no man could do, but God himself has done by himself coming, becoming a man, taking on humanity, fulfilling all the obligations so that it could be ratified by his blood and his death. That's what this meal is all about. That's what's new about it. The old one, we just couldn't do it. We failed. And every time God gave us a chance, we, we had a good start but bad follow through. And then someone, praise God, comes along who lifts his cup and says this, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. I am going to do for you what you can never, ever do for yourself. And you know what's really cool about this? As you read this and, and you see the benefits of the, of the new covenant, they're unable to fulfill it. And people throughout the Old Testament saw that of the people of God. They, they were at times when they'd see the people straying and far away from God and pious sincerely devoted people to God who are not relying on their works and ability to perform, to, to be in the presence of God, would call out to God and say, have mercy on us. Have mercy, God. Do something. We can't do it. It's like Carol said tonight in prayer. It's not our prayer. It's that, God, we're going to really make it happen. And we're going to be the, the promise keeper that really fulfills. Not that we don't do all that and seek to do our best, but the reality is we come with a resolve that says, God, we're going to trust in you and your power to do the things to us that only you can do, and we're going to give ourselves for you to do it. That's all that we can do. In faith, we look to you, Jesus, because, Jesus, you're the only one who can do it. And... And it's really good news. I've got to tell you, if, if you've been kind of trying to understand what does it mean to walk with God, to know God, it's not about what you can do and what all the effort and performance and all those other things. It's all about what God can do for you. And all he asks you to do is to trust. Like when you take this meal, um, here is a great, incredible act of obedience. It is to take it and receive it and say what I am taking in, the life that is now mine, all that God wants to give me is because of what you have done and I just receive it like taking food. Ah, isn't that wonderful? 
Oh, and I don't have... I, read Jeremiah... Well, I'm going to read this. I'm, I'm going to go on later. Sorry. I know there's a football game. I'm sorry. In the midst of these cycles of falling away from obedience to God, God promises a new covenant through Jeremiah the prophet. And he says, the time is coming, Jeremiah, because Jeremiah was the weeping, sad, depressed prophet who looked and said, God, we can't do this. And he says, Jeremiah, here's the secret. The time is coming when I will make a new contract, a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. It will not be like the contract I made with their forefathers when I took them by hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my contract, though I was a husband to them. Almost like a marriage. He says, I was a husband who was faithful, but they couldn't be faithful for even a minute. He says, this is the contract or covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man his brother saying, know the Lord, because they will all know me. How incredibly cool it is. You can know God personally. You can hear God. You can walk with God. You can, you can have the experience of God's presence in your life because of what Jesus did on the cross. You have the Holy Spirit if you trust him. You're not weak in the sense of the power of God to work through you. Yes, you're weak in your flesh, but as you walk in the Spirit and as you seek to walk with Him, incredible things God can do. And he, wait, he goes on, he says, No longer will a man teach his neighbor or a man, his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, sinner, saint, winner, loser, whatever that was in that course. For I will forgive their wickedness and remember their sins no more. And here are the benefits. Forgiveness. Forever. As you enter this new year, you don't just get forgiveness, you know, at the beginning of the time. Every single moment of your day, you should be washed in the forgiveness of God. Because it's not about you. It's not about your performance. It's about what Jesus did. Now, that's the incredible, wonderful truth that everyone can walk into a relationship, know the forgiveness of God, and enter into an experience of relationship with God. Now, here's the other side of it. As we trust and in faith begin to know that... If God has, and we've experienced forgiveness, and we understand, whenever someone forgives you, when I hurt my wife, if I don't understand that my, what I did caused great pain, and I don't begin to reflect and ask for insight, not, I'm going to be better next time, I'm going to try really hard. It's not about trying really hard, but it's about God giving me insight, giving me understanding, because what I am doing, I don't want to do again, because if I do it again and again and again, trust can't build. I may have a relationship, but it won't be very deep. And if you want a relationship with God, I just got to tell you, it is so important that you understand this forgiveness. It's not about you gaining forgiveness, but it's you understanding you've been forgiven and you can walk in this every single moment of this new year. But you also need to know that when you have been forgiven, there is a response in our hearts in faith and trust that says, God, help me understand, because in what you have done, I don't want to hurt you again. I don't want to hurt you or you or you. And I want to walk in this. There's also something that you need to know. It's not about just forgiveness. It's about God's grace. You need to know that once you step into the forgiveness, you also continue to walk in grace. We get it so wrong. We get thinking about this whole relationship. And if we think, well, you know, once we enter this relationship with God, if I just do this, this, and this, now I will, through these performance, God's going to... We get back on that whole performance track again. The one thing that you got to understand about this, this incredible God of ours... It's just how deeply committed he is to you. And, and folks, we get it so wrong. We only need 
Faith the size of a mustard seed to release the saving power of God within us. But we think it's up to us. And we think if we could love more, if we only obeyed better, if we prayed more, if we had more faith. But no, it's not about us. This life is all about God. God longs to be in a relationship with you no matter how you fall, no matter how many times you've blown it, no matter how long you've wandered from him. God's still committed to you. And God knew, just like the children of Israel were sacrificing to a golden calf, right as he was coming down with the terms of contract. You know what's happening? Jesus is celebrating his meal. He's lifting the cup. He's saying, this is the new covenant, and it's all great and grand. And the next moment, you know what's going on? The disciples are fighting about who's going to be first. And Jesus is looking at it, and looking at the kind of the lead guy, Simon, his name's Peter, but Jesus, in this passage of Scripture, just go to Luke 22, verse uh, 31. He says, Simon, Simon, three times he calls him Simon, because Peter's trying to do it in his own performance and strength. He can't call him by the name Peter, which is a name of faith. He has to call him by his old name. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan's asked to sift you like wheat. Do you know what? He's going to do everything he can to get you back on the performance track. But I've prayed for you, Simon. Now catch this. I've prayed for you that your faith may not fail. He wasn't praying that he wouldn't fail. I just love that. He said, I'm just praying at your faith. You know why? Because he, it's all about trusting, not about what we can do, but about the grace that God has that even when we fail, and we fail big. God still loves us. Are we willing to come back to him? There's a story, or an ad that I love, and I'll close on this. And it reminds me of one of my, it's one of my favorite newspaper ads. Because it reminds me of just this incredible love that someone has. Lost dog, brown hair, with several bald spots. Right leg broken due to an auto accident. Left hip hurt. Right eye missing, left ear bitten off in a dogfight. Answers to the name of Lucky. <laughs> I, I tell you, we are the luckiest people in the world because Jesus used the word blessed and said, he said, blessed are you who are poor in spirit and broken and pitiful. And you recognize the fact that it's not about you, but it's about God. And you're at that place. You say, God, okay. And I want to tell you, you're going to have a great new year. You're going to have a great new year if you live in that forgiveness and you walk in that grace and you understand this truth. The Spirit of God is in you and present. There's going to be a men's retreat coming up. And one of the things that I'm excited about, I'm just praying about, is I would love it if we had, you know, like Yosemite in the, in the Old Testament, men who knew the presence of God in their heart and lived from that. And man, aren't we lucky because... Like that dog who um, must have been a, a scarred mess. We come to this table with all kinds of wounds and scars and we have a God who is so committed to us that he would send his son Jesus and he would stand as the guarantee of this contract. It was so one-sided, all done by him. And that's what you enjoy. Every moment, every day, every year. Father, thank you. Take these elements, these symbols, and make them new to us today. In Christ's name, amen.